This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Take the baseline out. Uh-huh. 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 Let it bump, though. Hello, everyone, and welcome uh-huh. to another episode of the Hardwood Knock Podcast. I am Dan Valley, coming at you this time with my super-duper, incredibly awesome, times awesome, fantastic, spectacular co-host, Andy Bailey. I hope everyone had a Merry Christmas, uh, Happy Holidays with whatever they were celebrating throughout the month of December. I hope you guys are getting set for a new year. 2018 is right around the corner. Um, this week has been all kinds of messed up because of the holiday and Andy and I being so busy. This will be the only podcast uh, this week, but luckily it's going to be an exciting podcast because we have a monster mailbag for everyone that we're going to try and get through. First and foremost, though, I would like to, one, thank everyone again for continuing to listen and following along, but two, please remember to... Napa Know How! This month, at your local Napa Auto Care Center, when you get a premium oil change with a cabin air filter, you also get a $15 mail-in rebate, which means the pros do the job and you get paid. Wait, what? Get your premium oil change and a cabin air filter and save 15 bucks at Napa Auto Care. Quality parts installed by the pros. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Care Centers. Offer ends 4 subscribe rate and review us on itunes as always we're really trying to get closer to that century mark on the ratings we are not really all that close but we're more than halfway there we're at like 60 right now and and so if you could take the 10 to 15 seconds of your time and just throw a rating in there and a subscription so that you can make sure you're hearing us speak every time we drop a podcast and if you want to leave a review please do leave a review as well we appreciate every single person who has done that for us to this point and once again encourage everyone else to follow suit with that out of the way though it is time for the question everyone waits for each and every podcast how are you doing today andy i'm excellent um uh, still basking in the glow of christmas uh but i am more than ready to jump into this mailbag how was your christmas it was good. Um, I watched a lot of hoops on Christmas, so I didn't really spend it with the family. Same here. But, but Christmas Eve was big. <laughs> I ate like two whole cheesecakes on my own. That was like off my I, diet night. It was pretty. It was pretty fantastic. I commend you. That's that is a worthwhile achievement for sure. Yeah, I binge when I go off my diet. I don't know about <laughs> you. Did you binge on anything fun? Uh, I haven't been on a diet in probably like two years. 
So it, it's been a constant binge for about that long. A 730-day <laughs> binge. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like telling myself January 1st, I'm going to start working out and exercising again for the first time in a couple of years. We'll see how long that lasts. But we'll follow wish me along luck. as you go after your first 10-day contract. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, like you said, it is a monster mailbag. I think this is the most engagement we've had on a mailbag so far. So this should be fun. Um, and I'm just going to jump right into the questions. We have Thomas Duffy at TJD Hoops. Um, he is an editor for Bicycle. And he asks us, how long before Jimmer, the Mormon Megalodon, for Dat comes back? And I don't know if that's his official nickname, but I dig it. Um, I've got a, I've got an image pulled up here on Google. I, the minimum feet of a Megalodon, which is a huge shark, is <laughs> twice as long as a great white. So uh, I'm cool with the nickname. Um, I don't know. Do you, <laughs> do you think Jimmer for Dat will ever come back? I mean, hey, Gerald Green is back in the NBA. He's on the Rockets. Anything could happen. I don't, yeah. I mean, maybe he pops up. Like, I don't even know what he pop up in the D League or Summer League team at this point, or is it just straight overseas for him now? I don't, I always He's was like, a believer that his shooting could find a place in the NBA, his shooting and scoring, and even a little bit of his playmaking. Here. But I guess at this point, like, how many years has it been? It's been closer to a decade now. Two. Oh, since he was drafted. Yeah, since he was drafted. Yeah. So, I mean, like, 2012 that's a long oh no wait no, he is he was i think they call him the lonely god in china he's got his own shoe deal um so i'm sure he's loving it over there the only thing i looked up in response to this question is and i've done this a couple times jr smith numbers in china oh, um 34.4 points 7.4 rebounds 4.2 assists two and a half steals 49.7 field goals 46.2 threes 75.8 free throws Jimmer Fredette's numbers in China this season, 37.5 points, 7 rebounds, 4.6 assists, 2.1 steals, 44 field goal, 44-3, 96 free throw. So it's basically the same. And I, <laughs> I'm i with you. I think there could be a place for him if you wound up in the right situation. But like you said, I, I just I don't know if that opportunity is going to present itself again. Yeah, I don't. I, don't I, know I wish it would. Take. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about he's this would this would have been his seventh season. He was drafted in. 2011 it's just at yeah. some point you know now he's he's gonna be 29 in february my guess would and be every no, once but... in a while a random guy will like come over from overseas like Tia, this is a much different player but tia dosage came over late and gary neal came over late there's there are some examples but i think um, it was i mean what remember when he signed with the spurs in 2015 for a minute like that was yeah, the, that, that was, was the great jimmer hope and then it yeah. was then it was not yeah i did too um all right this one's from Adam Cubbage, at D-A Cubbage, C-U-B-B-A-G-E. If Jabari Parker comes back and plays like he did before his injury, the Bucks ceiling in the playoffs is blank. I'll leave it to you. I, it depends on how their matchups fall in the playoffs because I don't I, like if Jabari Parker comes back and he's that twenty points per game scorer from last year and he's hitting threes off the catch and he's kind of mobile on the defensive end too. The Bucks are going to be good, but you can't get through the Cavaliers still. I, I wouldn't. I, would you even give them like a twenty five percent chance against Cleveland in a series at that point? So Eastern Conference Finals, I think, is a fair ceiling. But if you have to meet the Cavaliers before then, uh, you're ostensibly not going to get there. The one thing I guess would be kind of interesting to see, though, is if you could run out like a Middleton, Giannis, Bledsoe, like 
I guess, Snell uh, lineup, and you put, like, Jabari Parker at the five for that because that foursome— I think that's interesting, too. That foursome uh, is posting an offensive rating of 117.6, defensive rating of 102.8. So they are outscoring opponents by 14.8 points per 100 possessions, and the Bucks are 10-5 and five in the 15 games that they've appeared in. You, you know, you replace... And you, you make Giannis like the rim protector, kind of how Kevin Durant is with the Warriors. Right. So, I mean, and so Parker's still, I guess, your de facto four in that situation. And you just have so many guys... You Four of those guys can create with the ball in their hands on the offensive end. Parker, Middleton, Attentacupo, Bledsoe. And, and all, Snell has become like a deadly catch-and-shoot option. Yeah, he's like he's like the perfect complementary, like three and deer. Like he'll just he'll work on the defensive end, even though he's not spectacular. So that would be like an interesting lineup. And then you still have Brogdon, uh, John Henson on the bench. All of a sudden, it just feels like you're a lot deeper. Uh, maybe if they get Sean Kilpatrick going ever, I really liked that pickup by them, even though people were kind of mad with how they used uh, Gary Payton this season, which I, I kind of agree when you looked at the contract situation. But anyway. Parker would certainly elevate their ceiling, but I don't know. I could still see their ceiling being the Eastern Conference Finals right now. Parker makes it more likely they get there. I don't think he makes it much more likely that they'll have the requisite firepower to get past Cleveland. Yeah, my answer is pretty much the same. Uh, I was thinking when I read it that as long as they're not on the same side of the bracket as Cleveland, um, then they can make the Eastern Conference Finals with that team. I think the East... I, hopefully this isn't like too disrespectful to the Celtics, but in the last couple of weeks, it started to feel to me again like it's Cleveland and everyone else. And and I think Milwaukee is firmly in that everyone else camp, um, especially if, if Parker's healthy. But like you said, I don't think, especially once Cleveland gets Isaiah Thomas back, I just, I don't think it's enough to keep up with them. They, they have been so good basically since Derrick Rose went down. Um, you know, they still have their issues defensively, but, LeBron is is doing things he's never done before, which is insane to say in year 15. Kevin Love has really come on in the last like month or so. Um, they're they're very much starting to click, too. and it's yeah that that uh, Dwayne Wade Kyle Korver led bench unit is is insanely good. Um, Even Chetty Osmond's developed like a nice report the bench and yeah, all of a sudden he's like getting minutes and deserving them. So it's uh, it's really tough to see anybody beating them at this point. Okay, next we have Audio B. Royster at A-D-I-O-B-R-O-Y-S-T-E-R. So the Thunder have won six in a row and are 12-3 and three in the month of December. Is it possible Billy Donovan has figured this thing out? And he has a follow-up. Should Houston start worrying? I, I think it's certain. I mean, you... <laughs> It's. I mean, some of this a matter is a matter of like, hey, guys are playing a little bit better. Russell Westbrook's finally shooting. That's, like he's shooting. That's kind of my thought. He's yeah. shooting forty three point three percent over the last fifteen games, which is again, it's not spectacular, but that's better for Russ. Um, he's getting to the foul line a bunch, seven point seven free throw attempts per game. Uh, it just, I don't know. It see, it also helps. I would think that it like Carmelo Anthony's attempting under fifteen shots per game over this 15-game stretch. He's not shooting well, 40.2%, slashing 33.3 from beyond the arc. Even his free throw attempts have been bad. He doesn't get many of them, but he's at under 67% during this stretch. But their defense is still really good. Uh, Patrick Patterson has improved a little bit during this time as well. He's shooting thirty, almost 39% from three. It's just they're getting these better performances. Even Paul George, he's still not shooting particularly well from the field, but he's at 47.1% from three over these 15 games, and he's shooting and almost seven three-point attempts that's per what, game. I was just going to say the same thing. So, Go ahead. 
It it just seems the stuff is coming together, and I would like their offense to. It finally feels like they're capitalizing on the amount of talent that they have. But I would like to see some more creative stuff from their offense. I get that Carmelo Anthony is going to have to assume a lower volume role moving forward, and it, it appears to be working now. But again, it's not like Oklahoma City. I think during this time, what have they been on the offensive end? They are twelfth in offensive efficiency, which is good. It's not great. Uh, can you get, you know, Mello setting some more screens off the ball, maybe even experimenting with him as a pick-and-roll diver? Uh, can you do the same even with George and Westbrook? Like, get them to set more screens when they're off the ball, or can you get these guys to make more cuts just to throw some extra layers of creativity in there? That's when I think they'll be at their most dangerous, but the fact that it looks like they're a little bit more balanced now because guys are making shots and the defense hasn't totally suffered as a result of what they're kind of favoring offensively, I don't know that we can say the, the Rockets should start to worry. That was certainly an impressive like Christmas victory, but I, I, I think it's possible that the Thunder, and we've talked about this, like the Paul George trade scenarios are always fun, but I definitely think it's possible that the Thunder are still going to comfortably have home court advantage in the first round of the playoffs. Yeah, they look really good in December. Um, I looked up their numbers pre-December and, and since December started, thinking that, well, maybe Russ, maybe Westbrook's shot attempts will be down. Maybe George's will be up a little bit. Maybe Anthony's will be down. Um, and I did not get what I was expecting. Like you said, Westbrook's field goal percentage is up a bit. It's it's up about three percent in December, but his field goal attempts are also up uh, almost four, <laughs> taking almost four shots a game during this improved stretch. George and Anthony are both taking about two fewer shots per game. Um, so maybe the answer is just more hero ball from Westbrook. Just somehow he does it more efficiently. I, I don't know. The one thing that I can point to here that, I mean, I'm grasping at straws, but Steven Adams is taking almost two more shots per game. And in December, he's shooting almost 70% from the field. So maybe you take a couple inefficient mid-range jumpers from Mello and, and give them to Steven Adams at the bucket. And suddenly you're scoring a point or two more per game. Um, is that enough of a difference to go from what they were to what they are? Uh, you know, maybe in combination with what Westbrook's doing, but I, I think overall it's just everybody playing slightly better and just kind of figuring each other out. That's that's making them a better team right now. Yeah, and I mean this, the, their like preferred starting lineup has been absurd over this 15 game stretch. Nine appearances plus 23.9 points per 100 possessions. The other thing that we've kind of seen them do, and this was just I suppose a matter of getting everybody healthy but we're finally getting to see that lineup everyone thought was going to be able to stack up against Golden State or Houston where you sub out Steven Adams for Patrick Patterson um, mm-hmm. at the five. And they've got they've been used in six games over the last 15, only 18 minutes, but plus 19.5 points per 100 possessions with a top-notch defensive rating and probably close to league average, slightly below offensive rating. It, it looks like this team can do some different things. I, I question whether Carmelo Anthony is going to buy into his current role all season. If they're winning, you know, that it's pretty easy to do. And they had, that was a great, their, their past two wins have been really good. They weren't exactly taking down these world beaters beforehand, but to, to win against Houston and then to beat up on a Toronto team on that second night of a back-to-back. And even, you know, the, the jazz are kind of up and down the season, but that win right before Christmas over Utah, like those are good quality um, wins from them. And all like fairly comfortable too. Right. So it's just, I still think they're going to be a really good team. I 
I just still feel like they have a ways to go on the offensive end. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, all right, I'm going to move on to at Joshua F. Beal, B-E-A-L. He asks, would you take Jason Tatum over Spida, who is Donovan Mitchell? I think you should start um, on this one. All right, I'll take it. This, <laughs> I'm torn on this question. Um, I think what Donovan Mitchell is doing right now is slightly more impressive because he, he just has so much more responsibility on his shoulders offensively. Uh, Utah just looks – their offense grinds to a halt if he's not doing things, um, which is – that's just so much to ask of a rookie. And he's not in the game. It's like – it's almost painful to watch them play offense. So he's got a lot on his shoulders there, and he's still averaging almost 18 points a game. He's he's shooting much better than I would have guessed coming into the season. I think the argument for Tatum, um, while he does have a lot more help offensively on Boston, he is two or three years younger than Mitchell, and he's a good five inches taller. And I think if you're just um, evaluating a prospect, I think age and height is is pretty important in this discussion. So I think what Mitchell is doing at the moment is more impressive. If I had to pick one to sort of build a team around going forward, I, I think I'm going to take Tatum. That's probably a good way to put it. I, I, I like the fact that but I'm torn. I, I mean, I could go either way. I go mean, ahead. I, I like the fact that Donovan Mitchell has been so much more self-sufficient and that's not to say that Tatum can't be, it's just, he's not in that situation and he's not, you know, Almost 35% of his shots are, are coming unassisted, of his made buckets, are, excuse me, are coming unassisted. Like, that's a... I didn't know that. That's impressive. Yeah, so it's, I mean, Donovan Mitchell, almost, like, almost 38% of his shots are only coming off assists. So he's clearly, he's more responsible for the offense. There's also something to me that's more intriguing about a guy who's going to have just inherently a larger control over the offense because now he's tasked with facilitating. He, it looks like he's going to be basically a point guard moving forward or, or really heavily. He should be already. Yeah, combo guard. Uh, I, I like what Mitchell can do on the defensive end, but Tatum's been pretty good defensively as well, and he can defend fours and threes, and he's just that like-sized wing at 6'8". I'd probably want him more moving forward as well, but it, it's tough just because of what Donovan Mitchell's able to to just do in a higher volume role already. And it makes you wonder, Hey, if, if Tatum wasn't playing alongside, you know, Kyrie Irving and, and Al Horford and, and even just a little bit like Jalen Brown helps him with the defensive assignments um, that they need to handle, you know, t- almost 20% of Tatum's total shot attempts have been wide open threes. Like that's, that's incredible. Yeah. So his job is certainly easier, but I, I'm with you long term, just with the way the league is trending toward these light, like sized wings, I, I'd probably still want him. I will add one more thing for Donovan Mitchell. His like flashes have have been a little bit brighter, and I think that is worth considering when you're comparing two young guys. Um, it's, it's also though, it's like, like the flashes that he's shown have been like the forty point game. That was crazy to see a rookie take over like that, and I don't think we've seen quite that level of uh, flash from from Jason Tatum. I'm still probably going to take Tatum, but I, I think you can make an argument for Mitchell. I think you can too, and like that's the other thing about him is yes, there are all these like ill-advised pull-ups, like you, but you, you take those when you look at his role. Like Tatum just isn't asked to be doing that. Like he's going to get yeah. higher quality shots in transition um, with Boston than Mitchell's going to get with Utah. So it's you know it's just it's really it's it's tough to pick, and I, I 
will Tatum ever become like a really good passer? I, I mean, like that's something that's up for debate as well. Or will he ever get the opportunity to carry an offense on his own? Because it hasn't been pretty this year. He's played 208 minutes without Al Horford and Kyrie Irving on the floor. And the Celtics' defense has been fine. They're a net plus during this time, but they're posting a 93.2 offensive rating. And again, he's a rookie, but you look at what Donovan Mitchell does for the Jazz in, you could pretty much call it a similar situation because they don't have, you know, Irving's not there. Rudy Gobert's injured right now. And you look at the offensive splits and they're uh, mostly just night and day when when he's off the floor. So there is a case to be made for him. Just still, if we're going to fast forward three years down the line, I think I'm going to want Tatum, but it's, it is very, 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 very close. Yeah, that's a good question by Joshua. Um, our next one is from at Boxing Contreras, C-O-N-T-R-E-R-A-S. He just says, Tim Duncan is the best, uh, then jumps down a couple lines and put a, puts a question mark. <laughs> so I'll let you interpret that however you want. I'm assuming he wants to say, is he the best power forward of all time or the best center of all time? And it's it's just iffy territory because – Tim Duncan is a center. And, you know, I looked at Agreed. cleaning the glass before we went on, and not since 2004, 2005, have a majority of Tim Duncan's minutes um, come at the power forward position. So it's just like, excuse me, not since 2003, 2004. And when you look at basketball reference, 72% of his career minutes, according to them, have come at center. It was basically like once that David Robinson era was over, as you said before the podcast, he moved to center. And, you know, is he the best center of all time? I, I, I don't think so. No. I think you can make an argument for him at power forward. At center, you've got Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Um, I, I think you could pro- at least me personally, I'd probably take Shaq in front of him. You've Shaq, um, yeah. There's also Bill Russell's and Will Chamberlain are going to factor into yeah. those discussions. He was he is without question a top five center all time, and I would probably just take him. And, and maybe this is just recency bias, but I'd probably take him over Chamberlain and, and Bill Russell too. Like I he, would too. He would be a top three center for me. So he's here's either a, if he, here's another way to look at this. It, do you think he's the best player of that era, like the the early two thousands? It's there's been a debate between him and Kobe, and no, I think LeBron no is obviously in there too. Well, I'm saying. <laughs> I'm I'm with you. People have debate, debated that. I think he's the best player of that era. Right. So I th- that's you know, and we kind of talked about this too. Part of the reason I think people cling to the power forward argument is probably just one because we have like the the older school purists. I'm not even trying to insult them. Like they're still gonna uh, like talk about those days when he played next to David Robinson, and that's how he like began his career and everything. Yeah. Uh, and two, it's just easier to argue that he's the best power forward of all time than it is to figure out his place in that pantheon of centers. I agree. Um, so I'm going to go top five center as well, and, and I'll say he was the best player of the like 2000 to 2010. I I'll think say, it's obviously LeBron from that point to I'll now. I'll say that too, and I'll probably go top three center, but that could be my recency kicking in because I'm 20, going on 29, so I did not I also, have a I chance don't think... to watch Bill Russell play. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I don't think you can compare guys like Russell and Wilt to this current um, crop of players. Now, there was like nine teams in the NBA, literally right. nine teams, when Bill Russell won all those championships. So, um, okay, would an NBA? What would an NBA team in Wyoming be called? That's from at five KL, who obviously knows I'm from Wyoming and in Wyoming. Um, <laughs> there was a somebody tried to like kickstart a the CBA again. Um, I don't even remember what they called it, but there was like a minor league 
supposedly professional team here called the Wyoming Wranglers. And like some of the guys on there were people I played pickup with who are just terrible. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Wranglers is out. I think Wyoming wind because it's super windy. It has a little alliteration, but it's also extremely corny. The so I am just going to. might be fun. Ooh, that's not bad. I'm going to default to uh, the mascot from my elementary school, the Buffaloes. <laughs> what about the bison? The Wyoming bison. Bison would work too. I actually thought of that. Um, what about the state bird? The Wyoming oh western meadowlarks. <laughs> I'm glad you had that pulled up because I was like, this is embarrassing. Or they could. I mean, they have so many national I parks and forests and state parks and everything. I know the national flower. Um, Indian paintbrush. I but yeah, like... you could work in like one of the national parks. That's a good idea. State reptile, the Washington. <laughs> Horned toads. We, that we would have, actually. We have a state reptile. Uh, the state reptile, uh, and I said Washington. I meant Wyoming. The Wyoming horned toads. That would be idea. a hell of an. I'm I'm for the horned toads. That's like the. And then you can like. Does it can get I weird? Be, Do you call them? I've like, literally never seen a toad in Wyoming anywhere. Not a horned toad, and not a horny toad. A horned toad. <laughs> Let's make that clear. Uh, man, I'm, I'm so confused. I'm, okay, I'm in. State you tree. Me. You guys are the cottonwoods. <laughs> I'm seeing pictures of a Wyoming horned toad now. I've, there's there's definitely no chance I've seen one of these things. Are they intimidating looking? I feel like I'm gonna. Go they are kind of scary, actually. I'm I'm for I'm gonna go with horned toads and the whirlwind or wind like that. That you know that they do look kind of scary. I vote. My vote is officially the Wyoming horned to toads. All right, you What's sold yours? me. I'm going with that. I'm, oh, I'm, I'm buying. Would you like another fun fact? Yes. The horned toads or the horned toad have also been known as the horny toad, historically. Yeah, <laughs> Either one works for me. Um, another Tatum question. This one's from at Pasha Sabet, P-A-S-H-A-S-A-B-E-T, and I apologize if I butchered that pronunciation. Um, would Tatum be producing at this kind of efficiency on a bad team? I think we kind of answered that question with his minutes, Sands, Irving, and Horford. Yeah, I don't think no. it would be... I don't think it'd be this level. Um, I, I actually, this morning, <laughs> I, I did gave myself a big project and I averaged the ranks of basically everyone who's played 400 minutes through in seven catch-alls and he came out as the 30th best player in the NBA right now, which is Absurd. wild. Um, I never would have guessed that. I don't think he would be near that level of efficiency. At the same time, he has... Um, he has proved to be better than I thought he would be in this rookie season. So I still think he'd be very, very good on a bad team, just just not this level. Okay, so I, we might need to retract our statements to some extent because the numbers I said that Celtics is a team when he plays without Horford and Irving, they're just absolutely – the offense is terrible. The team is shooting yeah. under 22% from three. But listen to this. In per 36 minutes, when Jason Tatum plays with Kyrie Irving and Al Horford, he is averaging – 15.6 points, 6.3 rebounds, 1.8 assists, 1.8 turnovers, and slashing 54.6 shooting, 51.6% three-point shooting, 84.7% from the foul line. Without them, okay. for 36 minutes, 19.2 points, 7.1 rebounds, basically identical on the assists, 1.7, 1.4 turnovers, and he's shooting... 48.1% from the field and 52.4% oh, from wow. three. And his free throw percentage dips to 76%, but he's getting to the line five attempts per 36 minutes as opposed to 3.8 with those two. So maybe we're under... 
That's I, crazy. <laughs> but but okay, and I don't want to make this like cheapo comparison. That could also have like a little bit of a super rich man's Harrison Barnes vibe to it. This guy's going to put up numbers no matter where he is, but how much of a profound impact will they have on the team when he's a lone wolf? Like if you yeah. go from making Jason Tatum the number three or number four option to the number one, the party changes a great deal. So and there's also they... a question about like who he's putting those numbers up against. If Horford and Irving are out, there's a good chance the other team starters are out too. That's also a fantastic point. I'm actually going to look that up right now to see what his most used lineup is without them. And I, I but I guess I mean that's still like you know it, it's kind it's of, still impressive. It's it's better than I would have guessed. Yeah. So the oh, okay. Oh no, wait, I'm wrong. Um, I mean, he's played a great deal without um, Kyrie Irving, so like that's kind of a plus. Um, I'm having to go very far down this list though to find a lineup that doesn't include either. And his most used lineup without the two of them uh, includes <laughs> Semi Ojeley, Terry Rozier, Marcus Smart, and Daniel Tice. They've logged a whopping ten minutes cool. together in three games, and they have a negative sixty-six point two net rating. So. Um, he definitely has to do a, a lot with that lineup. But the fact that he's efficiently doing it is is still really impressive. But that that kind of buttresses our – like this question. Like I guess it's a fair question, and then it buttresses the argument for him against Donovan Mitchell is maybe he could do more. I do wonder if he could ever be like a more of a volume like playmaker and passer type deal. But maybe, maybe. Like can he There's run still like time forward? for that yeah. too. I mean he's super young. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, this next one, this was somebody was actually following up that question. And he said, I like this is uh, Cam J. Chappelle, um, C A M J C H A P P E L L. Um, I like this kind of question. Who would you call the biggest beneficiary of their system slash surroundings as far as good players go? My bias wants to say people like Green or Camelo, but I'm probably just bitter and don't want to accept that Draymond is as good as he actually is. Well, I appreciate the honesty, Cam. I also, um, I'm like, I, I'm, I appreciate how high he is on Carmelo Anthony right now. Yeah, that too. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know how much of a believer I am in system players. Uh, generally, I feel like your talent kind of travels wherever you go. I, I think there are some guys that are probably elevated by where they they are. I don't know if there's anybody that like jumps off the page for me right now. It's like, that's a system player. Um, I don't know. Does anybody come to mind for you? I feel like I'm going to get a lot of hate for this, but I, <laughs> if we're talking about in terms of like high profile guys, haven't, hasn't it kind of been proven that Deandre Jordan is that guy? Ooh, that's interesting. Like you kind of look at, he has not been as impactful without Chris Paul. That's true. And, like, he's needed Teodosic on the court to, like, really feel it, um, like, to really make an impact offensively. And then the Clippers' defense just hasn't been – oh, it got better lately, but it just hasn't been, you know, when he doesn't have, like, a Beverly or a Chris Paul there, uh, he's not facing as many shots at the rim because he's having to recover. I don't, that's just me. I mean, offensively, I think there would be a case there. Uh, and I, if we're just talking – high-profile players, stars, borderline stars, whatever you want to say, he'd be the one that springs to mind to me more so than Draymond Green. If you wanted to talk specifically about Draymond Green's assist totals being a product of Golden State system, because it's... That's a good point. Because so many of them, like, he's just sprinting down the lane and he just throws it to someone in the corner or, like, they're just these open cutters. He's surrounded by, like, two, three of the greatest shooters of all time. Right, but, like, his rebounding and his defensive switchability, like, that's not a product of the the Warriors. So, I... I Speaking of uh, maybe getting some hate, 
when you said DeAndre Jordan, it kind of made me think of Rudy Gobert too, who hasn't been nearly as impactful this season without Hayward and George Hill. Hasn't the defense still been like really good with him on the floor though? He's he's been great defensively. Um, I even that I, I think that has a lot to do with his health that it hasn't been quite as impactful as last season, but. Um, yeah, I just he just hasn't been as good There's, offensively. I mean, he can't even like he can't catch Ricky Rubio's passes. That's that's a big problem. Well, Ricky Rubio throws the. And dumbest speaking of Ricky too. Rubio, maybe he's a system guy too. Now you now now I'm going. Um, but there is a <laughs> this question. Uh, yeah, let me let me throw this question out there to you, since you're the only one who I feel like should be answering this. Why does Ricky Rubio play minutes for an NBA team? Yeah, that. Uh, let's see. Meanwhile, well, how many followers did you just lose with your Rudy Gobert comments? <laughs> I don't know. Um, it, people will be shocked to hear me say anything negative about him. That one in front was from at mustache hater, the Ricky Rubio question. I hate the stash is the Twitter handle. I'm, I'm fine with it. <laughs> so my answer to this question is I, I always thought he was pretty underrated um, before this season. I, I under, like The complaints and the worries about his shot are – 100% fair, um, historically bad shooter, but he did everything else so well. His steal rate was so high. His assist rate was so high. He um, Should we harken back to the early season podcast where we both said his his kind of hot shooting was for real? I know. That, if you're looking for bad. a reason to abort the podcast now, <laughs> that would be it. But, man, this season he has been really, really bad. Right. Um, Every time he has the ball, I'm afraid he's going to turn it over. Every time he shoots, I'm pretty sure he's going to miss. He's averaging like – I'm pretty sure he's under five assists a game, which is, is like – that's crazy to think from Ricky Rubio. Um, I think the the argument for him playing is what he did in his past. But at this point, it's – I've been saying for a while, it's time – and when I said this earlier when we were talking about Donovan Mitchell. It's time to just go ahead and start him at the one. I don't think you can kill Rubio's trade value any more than he already has. By averaging a career high twelve point four field goal attempts per thirty six minutes, the so here's my question though actually is so Rubio's posting the highest usage rate of his career too because it makes sense he's finishing more plays than ever like with shot attempts specifically and his turnover rate is still kind of high. I just in this Quinn Snyder egalitarian offensive approach, did we kind of it's so bad for him? Yeah, did we like? overestimate how well he'd fit into that because he was George Hill is the better fit. Like he's the, he's the guy who can play on or off the ball. Rubio has never been the guy that you can play on or off the ball. I also thought Snyder would tailor things to him a little bit more right. like to, to try and pigeonhole him into like a catch and shoot option just seems crazy to me. No, I totally. And I'm wondering if we, did we just assume it was going to be an adjustment? Did we over like, I'm I like, and he shot kind of well from three towards the end of last season. So maybe I placed too much stock in that. Um, but just looking at too. how the, the Jazz have run their offense, or basically since Snyder's come around, I don't know what – is there anything that you saw like to this point that would have made you think in a vacuum that Ricky Rubio is a good fit? Uh, not from what I've seen this season. No, but I, I mean, mean like, even leading in. Like that's my – like did we, did well, we that's, just completely whiff? What I anticipated was um, – some adjustment when he was on the floor. I thought they would kind of let him be himself when he was out there. And instead they've tried, they, it feels like they've tried to force their system onto him, which just obviously isn't working. Uh, yeah. And I mean, if you're not, I, yeah, and you're, you're absolutely positively right that they can't really kill his 
trade value more than they already have. Yeah, now. at this point, it's time to try um, Mitchell and Hood as your backcourt. So I guess can we, we – neither of us have a trade for the Jazz, but there is a question about one that maybe this would be a good segue into. Um, where was it? What it was? What is your perfect trade from for the Jazz? At Glenderson, G L E N D E R S E N, and it's what's what's your ideal Jazz trade? Would you okay? And this is like a swing for the fences, and it depends upon whether you think that he is going to rebound at all anytime soon because he's still the guy I'm about to talk about. He is under 30 years old. If you're the Jazz and the Hornets just wanted to get off money, are you looking at a Rubio? And either, let's say, Joe Johnson or Rubio in favors for Batum swap, would you do it? Rubio in favors for Batum? Or Rubio and Johnson. He's been kind of underwhelming this season, too, has he? I don't have him pulled up. Batum is terrible. Batum has had a really bad season, but I'm just saying he seems He he is a better fit, that's for sure. Right. Um and but you do, you owe him, including this season, it's like four years and ninety nine point one million. And his effective field goal rate is the lowest it's ever been for the second consecutive season. He's setting a new record low there. And how old is he? He is 28. Man. Oh, he's 29. Excuse me. He turned 29 on December 14th. Happy birthday, Nick. That's <laughs> tough because I do I do think he's a better fit maybe than both of those guys. Um, and, like, even the Hornets. Favors and Rubio. Rubio but isn't I, necessarily I, a good fit, but they could actually – they need a backup playmaker because it's not Monk. Yeah. Michael Carter-Williams is awful. And I remember I'd like to shout out to the person who listened to the podcast and was mad that we didn't give the Hornets a higher grade because we hadn't seen enough from Michael Carter-Williams <laughs> yet. Yeah. Um, shame on them. <laughs> yeah, that's played out in our favor. One of the few things that did. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, we're wrong all the time. I don't mean to call it the person. <laughs> I'm just – I'm saying is that that's like – because it's you were interesting. About how the I, Jazz don't I, have assets. I'll, that's probably a type yeah. of deal you're looking at. Yeah, that's probably true. Um, as as difficult as that may be to accept, I I feel like I'd probably rather have favors. But I'm saying, the, what if it's Ricky Rubio and Joe Johnson? Then, like I'm like if the Hornets Rubio and Johnson, I would do because a, I'd do that in a heartbeat. The Hornets, if they move Batum, should be with the sole goal of just getting off money, and you you save like. By taking on Rubio's deal for next year, you're you're taking on I think about you could I mean they could send the Jazz in this trade too. You probably have to eat like Mike or Carter Williams in the deal, but like that's fine. Just do the two for two. How long it's, is his deal? It's is expiring, he... so it's even oh, money. Okay. Yeah, I'd and do then, that. Um, and then you're saving about ten million next year, and then you're off from a deal two years earlier. So I don't mind that trade at all, honestly. If I'm the Hornets, is I'm I'm just doing it from their perspective because I think there's still Batum has that cachet because. If he wanted, he could have signed a full max in 2016. That's like without yeah. question. So um, I, I named the Heat as a possible destination for him. I came up with a deal the other day if they wanted to get off money because the Heat seemed like a team to take that chance, and the Jazz are not typically the team. But if he wanted to make a trade, and this is – I'm not sure if it's it's skewed because you have a very large Jazz following, and I think my following is probably disproportionately from Utah too because you've retweeted me so much from over the years, <laughs> and I love it. That's fine. But we get so many Jazz trade questions, and the Jazz never make these midseason moves. Yeah, they really don't. But that is this. But is, every I think, fan base is like dying for their team to do something. Right. Uh, but if they were going to make a move, that's something I'd consider. I mean, you're you're into a lot of money. Then would be the only thing if you're Utah. Uh, but if you're not going to bring back favors anyway, which you're probably not. I I just maybe it's justifiable. I, it I, is I interesting to me for sure. Um. All right, I'm going to jump to another question. This one's from Erlinger Einars, and hopefully I pronounced that one right too. At E-R-L-I-N-G-U-R-E-I-N-A-R-S. Um, did you get all that? 
Yeah, I got all that. Can, Let me recite it back to you. Can Denver contend with Jokic, Harris, Murray, and Millsap as their core? And I, I think this depends on what he means by contend. Compete for a title? Um, not right now. I, I think a lot of that depends on what does Jamal Murray become. And I think by the time he hits his ceiling, Paul Millsap's probably not even on this team anymore. So um, is Jokic like a, a title contending centerpiece at some point? I, I like to believe that he is, but even that is a couple years away. And I think you have to hit on Murray. I think Trey Lyles has to continue to be really good. Gary Harris has to continue to be good. I, I think a lot has to go right for them to be a legitimate title contender. Yeah, if we're talking, I guess we're probably talking more so next year because Millsap's injured right now, yeah. wrist injury. Uh, but encouraging, when those four guys have been on the floor this year, 236 minutes, which is not insubstantial given that they've only yeah. been able to play in 14 games, 111.9 offensive rating, 100.4 defensive rating, plus 11.5 points yeah, that's per really good. possessions. True shooting around 58, that's pretty good. Uh, so uh, they have a good, they're pretty good offensive rebounding, defensive rebounding team too. Like they seem to have a nice combination of, you know, playmaking their assist percentages through the roof. That's a very versatile core four. It would still seem if you're looking to, let's say just on the Millsap contract, you would need, you're like a piece short. And that's what I keep saying about Denver is like who you need that wing. And I, it's not on the roster. It's not. Yeah. I, that's why I think they need another star. So I'm saying like if Murray becomes a star, then it's interesting. I, I totally agree. I still with you. think, but my whole point is, is like even if he does, you know, you have Gary Harris and Murray. Neither of them are really like they're nice sized guards, but neither that, of them like, are really six, a seven, six, yeah. eight guy. Yeah. You're not, and it's That's Wilson true. Chandler's not it. He's been kind of bad offensively, but his defense has been pretty good this year. Will Barton, I don't think Trey Lyles has been, been awesome this year. Is he a I mean, wing he's though? Kind of, he's like that. I was gonna say he's maybe a three four, maybe. Yes, and that's that's like really pushing it. Juan Hernan Gomez, yeah. I don't think is going to work at the three. Um, they can do some interesting things with one. They're more set up than better set up anyway than anyone in the league, in my opinion, to make a blockbuster trade. I'm talking in terms of both assets and motivation, because mm -hmm. you look at you know the Celtics have more assets, but they have no salary filler. The Lakers have more assets, but they don't want to compromise their flexibility. So the Nuggets like have that motivation. If there's a name that comes on the block that they want, or maybe you can go after like a like if you added to throw a name out there, if you added Courtney Lee to that four man like unit and made that like your five man core moving forward. Like that's a, like a nice mix. You get that extra defense, a nice mix of everything. And perhaps you can contend for a top three record in the West. I don't, I still think he's another he, kind of undersized guy though. If you're, yeah, if he's playing a wing, that's really fair. I, like even if you went after Kent Bazemore, who's overpaid. So they seem like they need to, you know, they're not even playing Malik Beasley. Basically uh, they've favored yeah. Tory Craig. I, I would think even with that core, if we're, even on the Millsap contract, if it hits its peak, we're probably still talking about a number three seed. And unless they hit on a wing in the draft or they're able to sign someone in free agency or they make a trade that we just don't see in the pipeline right now, uh, the ideal fit for this team, like if you could put Chris Middleton on the Nuggets, that would just be fantastic. You that would be really interesting. Because the Bucks probably won't and, trade him. Yeah, he's, that would be... he's not going anywhere. That is interesting. Um, okay, I'm going to move on to R. Pravato, at R-P-R-A-V-A-T-O. Do you think it bothers Joel Embiid that he'll never be as good as Andre Drummond? And I wish I could play along with this question, but I'm going to go ahead and say Embiid's probably better now. Yeah, I, it's just even <laughs> Drummond's been fantastic. Drummond's this year, been incredible. But yeah, the t the Pistons are just they're better with him off the floor still. Like that concerns me. I know, and I mean you can break down the splits like however you want, but it, when you look and you see that they're a better 
Uh, I forget by how much since I haven't looked it up in a couple days. But when he's on the floor, like they're 2.5 points worse per 100 possessions on defense with him in the game. Their offense has been better, but they're a net wash, like net rating-wise when he's on the floor. So it's just like we can say that last season it was even like a more pronounced difference. They were um, – their off their excuse me their defensive rating when he was on the floor last year was like it was 108.9 and when he was off it was 99.7 so you're talking about almost a 10 point differential there that that stuff just bothers me and Embiid has already proved that he can statistically granted over smaller sample sizes and Drummond even said the thing about back to backs Embiid is already having that macro impact on his team and Drummond has yet to do that so I don't even think this to me it's not even a conversation if you want to talk about who's more durable then yeah but I will say that that average ranks thing I did today it has Drummond 13th so far this season and Embiid 29th but I'm I'm with you I'm still value Embiid over replacement right loves Drummond right is that well loves him this season yeah so he's been um, good I'm, I'm just saying yeah like, he's definitely been good I I think uh I agree. I think it'd be the better player right now. Um, Joe Montgomery. I, I think he's come at us the last two or three mailbags. So thank yes, you, we Joe. We appreciate your consistency, Joe. At Joe, M-O-N-T-G-O-M-E-Y. Um, what's up with the Bulls turnaround? They actually look like a competent team. And I, I think the answer on this one's pretty obvious. Yeah, Chris Dunn's an MVP candidate. <laughs> he actually... You bring him up. He he has been pretty good this year, but that's not who I was thinking. There, I've been. You know, we could talk about their offense a little bit, but since um, N- Nicole Miritich has come back, like the defense has been like pretty good too. They're second in defensive rating over their last it's, eleven uh, games. What they're giving up? Two. They're giving up fewer than hundred points per hundred possessions when he's on the floor, which is really good. Uh, and he like you know they've moved him to the bench now, I believe, and he only took. I think it was four shots in their win over the Knicks on Wednesday night. It's it's like a very weird role, but he's been so good. He's shooting the lights out from three. But again, this has coincided. Dunn was already playing well, and the Bulls' offense is still like kind of worse with him on the floor. Um, when you're looking at overall this season, over the last 11 games, though, I'm looking at it now, I'm sure that's uh, different. No, it's not. Their offense has been much worse with Chris Dunn on the floor. But that's just like... Like, it's coincided with you get better performances from Laurie Markkinen has been a little bit better. And like we said, Miritich. And you also have David Nwaba. You've had Denzel Valentine. Portis and Miritich are somehow, like, amazing together, too. Yeah, that lineup has been – I think someone tweeted out the other day, aren't they, like a plus 15 per 100 or something crazy? crazy. So uh, it's just – and they've beaten, like, some good teams. The Knicks aren't a good team. That was – I watched that game and just the – the end of fourth quarter offense from both teams was brutal, but the Knicks can't set up a play out of bounds to save their lives. Uh, but the Bulls, they beat the Bucks twice, I believe, in this stretch. They like did, weren't they close with the Cavaliers in that game that they lost? Like it's just they're not. Beating. Yeah, they've been good. Is it just a matter of people not taking them seriously? It. I honestly, I just. I've I've been they're beating like the Sixers they're beating them uh, they beat the Jazz like they beat the Celtics they're beating real teams and they've capitalized on some of these teams twice they came back for seconds with the Knicks and the Bucks uh, so it's uh, you know they're ruining their tank so this is this is kind of as far as hot streaks go this is pretty freezing cold when you look at their big picture <laughs> aims which yeah. is why I would expect Joe Cali of the Sun Times said that Miritich is still open to waiving his no trade clause and the Bulls will seriously look at moving him. Uh, once his restriction lifts in January, and I would expect them to move him because he's not 
He's not they in the should. future. It's... He turns 27 soon. So time to embrace the tank. That's for sure. I think you mentioned him as a possible, like you've talked about him maybe in Portland, which I think is super interesting. Yeah. Portland um, would be good. What was he? Oh, Washington. I thought would have been a, Oh yeah. They would be interesting because Marquise Morris has not been great this year. No. um, Although Mike Scott has been absolutely, he has been good. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. Fantastic. Um, I just, I don't know what that deal like is you would have to get like, if they were getting say if they got Sadoransky, and a first round pick in that deal, the Bulls. Sadoransky's my boy right now. Would would they be willing to um take on Jan Mahini's contract if that's like the compensation that they're getting? That would have to be like that's the Washington Wizards' best way of really getting Miritich unless they just firmly believe that um giving up Markeith Morris as part of that deal would move the needle for them. So but Portland would be interesting, so would Washington. I don't know if you get a first round pick for him on his own. Though he does have the team option for next year, but you know it's basically a year and a half of Miritich. Is that worth a first round pick? And he's never really played like this before. He's not going to have the same freedom on another team, so I I don't know. But he's he's going to be one of the names to watch as we move closer to February eighth. All right, our next one is from at Will Leitner, W I L L L E I G H T N E R. Why is Jason Kidd an NBA coach? And is Chris Middleton an all Middleton all star worthy? I think Jason Kidd's a good networker, like that. Maybe, maybe. Um, NBA experience seems to go a long way. Um, I don't know. Did you catch his press conference the other night when somebody asked him why didn't Sean Kilpatrick get on the floor today? And he just goes, "He wasn't in the lottery tonight." I didn't see that, but that's... he's getting like more and more curmudgeonly. He was reportedly the pissed media, that Gary Payton is... was ousted, though I, I believe, and they they mishandled. Payton was on the two way well, contract, he... was he not? Like they mishandled. That. I don't know, but the, the way, like even the way he used Payton was so dumb. He would play him for like ten minutes a game, and he would start him and play him for ten minutes. Like I just, I'll, I'll never understand ceremonial starters, and he might be the king of that. Well, but that's the other um, thing. Is like you have to, you get to a point. Maybe Giannis where... is close to him. I don't know. I. I don't know, but I, it's just I, like the Bucks have just done so many weird things, and Gary Payton is one of them because you get to like he got to the like the shitter get off the pot point of his two way contract, and they basically had to get rid of him because they used him so much yeah. already. Uh, and so a lot of decisions they've made as a team just don't make a ton of sense. I I, I honestly don't know. I don't know that you could say, oh, he definitely needs to be fired right now. Like, do midseason coaches changes really ever make this huge difference? It seems like it sparks something within a team, maybe immediately because of the urgency. But you can't overhaul how the Bucks play in the middle of the season. It's just not especially possible. when they're like they're on track to make the playoffs. And although them being the seven seed right now is super disappointing. On the flip side, you don't have yeah. Parker. You know, your your bench isn't the greatest. So, I. Jason Kidd's not a good NBA coach. I think we could agree on that. Um, David Fisdale in Milwaukee would be a hell of a fit. That would be is all I'll say. Yeah. Um, Chris Middleton, All Star worthy. I'll just—he's averaging twenty-one points, five rebounds, almost five assists, a steal, shooting forty-six percent from the field, thirty-six percent from three. It's—it's it's a crowded field in the East. I think it's more crowded than I thought it would be this season. I think the East's generally better than I thought it'd be this season, but. He certainly has an argument, I would say. I would think he does. It's just, it's like a matter of who are you ousting. I, I wouldn't bet on it, but yeah. So it's like who are you kind of ousting from the, um, sorry, like who are you, who are you ousting from the Eastern Conference that you're going to make it? I think he could. I think it's possible. 
Um, I don't know that his cold start to the year probably hurts him a little bit. Yeah. But it's like, who are you? You know, you're not going to look at like all the guys from the East who are de- who definitely need to get in. And we're talking like front court, Al Horford, Giannis Attentacumpo. Um, you have DeMar DeRozan qualified as a small forward per cleaning the glass. You have Drummond, you have Embiid, uh, Christoph's Porzingis. It's going to be hard. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's going to be tough, but I, I wouldn't, it wouldn't be like egregious if the coaches picked him to get in. And he's been better defensively than I feel like his numbers say. That's one of those players. I swear by numbers, but I watch him, and when you see like his his DBPM is not great, and then you see, but like you watch him, and I'm just convinced that he's still a good defender. Same here. Um, at B G R O E N E W E G E N. Sorry, I'm not even going to try. B Groeno Vegan. Groeno Vegan. So I did try. Um, how excited can I be about OG, meaning OG Ananobi? And I'm I very. Yeah, that's, that's just the exact word I was. Gonna I don't know. Use. What do you think? I think very. I like he's um, he's perfect for the he role. Doesn't that they to, have him in. He's a go ahead. He's just perfect for. Yeah, the Yeah, I was going to say he's like Tatum. He doesn't have to do a ton, but having a rookie who makes your team like demonstratively better is is pretty rare. He and he does more defensively than Tatum does, and he's just reliant on the field offensively. Uh, you know, we're talking about, I think, almost 90% or more, excuse me, more than uh, 90% of his looks come inside three feet or from beyond the arc. That's just... Huh. I, I, the That's question, perfect. Yeah, the question would be, will he shoot 42.6% from three for his career? No one pegged him as a shooter coming yeah. in. He was at 31.1% his final season at Indiana, although he did shoot 44.8% um, as a freshman there. I you know, limited attempts though. He attempted 70, 74 three pointers during his entire college career. And he's, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he's on pace to make more than that this season. He's already made 43 and he's attempted 101. So that would be a question, but he's good defensively. He can do some off the dribble stuff when you need him to, but he'll never, he'll never be that like featured option thing. And the other thing I'll say, his free throw percentage makes me nervous. Like what is that right now? I'm not even sure. 63%, and he was at 52.2 in college. How is this guy shooting? Yeah, that's a little worrisome. Such a sure. high clip from three, having an effective field goal percentage above 60 when he's that poor of a foul shooter. I don't know. There are questions, but I, I think you could justifiably be excited because he's having an yeah. impact now. And the physical stuff with him, he's like he seems like one of those perfect sort of could play two, three, four. Minutes. I was shocked um, that he was ready to begin the season. So, like, that was yeah, a good harbinger from, from the jump. <laughs> the only other thing I'll add about OG is when he's on the floor, uh, Toronto's outscoring opponents by 15.9 points per 100 possessions. When he's off the floor, they're outscoring opponents by 1.2. And I believe that's the biggest swing of any Raptors player. He stabilized the defense of a starting unit that's just weird defensively. DeMar DeRozan seems yeah. like he's been a little bit better, but I'm you know I'm not a fan of the Ibaka Valanciunas front court on defense. So he's been, he's, he's been, been awesome. Good. Yeah. I don't know. He'll never be a star, but you can be, he, he could be that really high end glue guy. And to say yeah. that about a rookie who's already contributing to a quasi contender, that's a big deal. All right. Our next one's from at Shay underscore Pearson, S H A Y underscore P E A R S O N. How's the sixth man of the year race shaping up? Um, I'm the guy I would pick. And I don't think he has a prayer of winning it. Um, <laughs> is David West. And I, the reason I don't think he has a prayer is because he only plays 13 minutes a game. But his his numbers for the last 
really three years, even going back to that one season in San Antonio, they have just blown me away. This season alone, he's averaging 18 points, nine rebounds, five assists, three blocks, and two steals per 36 minutes, shooting 62% um, from the field. That's, I mean, that's just, those numbers are crazy. And now, I'm give me one second. He is third on the Warriors in box plus minus right now. Stephen Curry, Jordan Bell, and David West. So that that's my pick at the moment. I don't obviously six man of the year almost always goes to like the flashiest scorer coming off the bench, and that's at the moment I don't know Lou Williams. So um, my pick, he's not going to get it, but that's that's who I'd go with. I he's interpret. I get thirteen point one minutes per game is just nothing. It's to me almost nothing, on the yeah. Warriors, especially Lou Williams. I think is like. He's, he has been awesome. Yeah, too. I, he's, I shouldn't have like undersold his case. He's been great. Uh, Will Barton too. Eric Gordon, That's a good one. I still really like, but he's been he's started a lot because I think of the he's Chris probably Paul started game. more than he's. But come if up we the can bench. assume that um, Chris Paul is yeah, if Chris Paul comes back, yeah. yeah you're so right. I mean, he started half his game so far to this point, but he's been he's shooting just thirty five point one percent from uh, three point range, but he's been fantastic. Just as like someone who draws the defense away, he's shooting. Um, inside three feet, uh, he's shooting 64.8%, uh, which is his highest mark since 2011-2012. He's just playing smarter basketball. He seems like he's been a better defender, too. So I think those three guys are probably the ones. That I know some people will mention Jordan Clarkson. Uh, Tyreek Evans would belong in there, but he's been— He's, he's been starting lately, yeah, too. So, but, yeah, he should be in there if he goes back to the bench. So, but those three are the ones I zero in on. And if you want to, maybe four, but I think we, as of now, you probably have to eliminate Gordon and Evans just because they've started about uh, half their games. Evans has been on the bench a little bit more than Gordon, but he's been the starter for, I think it's like 15 games in a row or something like that. So 14 games. It's just, I, I would immediately gravitate towards, if we're looking at volume, would be the Barton and the Lou Williams at this point. But either one of Gordon Revens could enter it. And West is interesting if you're going with, like, a low-burst candidate. All right. Uh, at Ralph Mason Jr., Ralph underscore M-A-S-O-N-J-R. Uh, it's still early, but how does your top five redraft look from the 17 draft? I'm going to go – This the first two are a toss-up to me, and this goes back to our earlier question, Tatum or Mitchell. But I'm going to say Tatum one. Mitchell two, John Collins three, Kyle Kuzma four, Jordan Bell five. Wow, you didn't have OG Ananobi in your top five. I also didn't have Markel Fultz. Well, that's Markel Fultz hasn't played. Yeah, really. but I mean, there's there's still got to be some people out there that would put him in the top five, right? I guess based off like swing for the fences thing, but they some of the other rookies have just been so good. Yeah, uh, I agree. I think I agree with you on Tatum. Um, you had Mitchell two. Right, mm-hmm. I'd have Mitchell too. I had Collins third. I think he's been awesome. I probably have had an Obi three. Oh, and then Collins and Bell seem like a nice way to round it out. I guess. Lakers fans, get at him. Kyle, wait, Kyle Kuzma. Yeah, I probably I go Kyle Kuzma four, Bell five. I love John Collins, but all right, that's fine with me. Okay, we're going to have to maybe pick up the pace a little bit on the rest of these. At A-E-R-Y-T-H-O-D, I'll say Arithod. Who is the best point guard in the East right now, Simmons and James excluded? I'll let you start with this one. 
it's kind of like a it's basically a two man race, right? It's just between Tyree Irving or Kyle Lowry. Maybe it's Kemba, but he hasn't That's, been shooting too well of late. Yeah, I'd say it's between those two. I'd probably go. Oh man, this is. I want to pick Kyle Lowry, but I feel like Kyrie Irving's body of work has been just more impressive over the longer haul. He's cooled off in the clutch. The Celtics are going through this like cold stretch. It's so hard for me to pick between them. I want to pick Kyle Lowry. I'm going to go with Kyrie. So maybe you want to balance me out. No, I, I think I kind of I have to just go with Kyrie because he's been absurd mostly offensively. Yeah, I if agree. you're going to get even an iota of defense out of him, that's a big deal. And for the first, I don't know, 15, 20 games, he was like shooting a million percent pretty good time. defensively. Yeah. And that too, yeah. Um, so I went with Kyrie there too. I think a lot of people would probably still put John Wall in the conversation, but um, he, he just has been a little bit off this season. I don't know if it's the knee or what, but he's he's just not quite himself. I think that contributes it to it. The Wizards' shot profile has also been horrid compared to last year, too. They got to figure that out. Speaking um, of Kyrie, though, go ahead. Cutler Harris at Cut Harris thirteen. Would the Celtics be having this much success if healthy it traded places with Kyrie? Um, I. So my initial reaction to this question was yes, because I think. I don't think I know Isaiah was a little bit better offensively last year than Kyrie's been so far this year. Um, but I, I do think even like just getting to maybe neutral defensively as Kyrie has, has, has been a game changer for the Celtics. So I would say probably a little bit better with Kyrie. Um, though what Isaiah did last year was insane offensively. I just, I just think the slight step up defensively with the size and, uh, what he can do probably increases this team's ceiling. It'd be pretty close, but yeah, I agree with you. Um, okay, now we're at at two Saint takes number two S A I N T T A K E S. How many guys in this next draft would have gone number one overall in 2017? I, I will preface. Po- go the, ahead. The popular number has been four, right? Like before Michael Porter, Jayton, Bagley, and Porter. Yeah. yeah, before he got injured. I guess now it would be three. But I, this this draft class seventeen has been better than I think anybody expected. Right. I mean, how many of those guys are you taking over Tatum? Knowing what we, you're, of course, Fultz, the actual number one overall pick. It doesn't look great right now. But how many of those guys are you taking over Tatum? Yeah, somebody who's proven. Would you a take? Lot. Well, let's do it this way. Would you take Doncic over Tatum? Um. So Doncic is the one that I'm like pretty sure I would take number one overall in 2017. So I. I I think I'm going to go Doncic. And I was going to say, I prefaced this question by saying, I don't really dive into the draft until, Sam's. I don't know, May. Um, so it's still Although a ways I off feel like you're me. as qualified as anyone to talk about Doncic. I, I have watched a lot of that guy. Um, <laughs> I will admit I have not seen much of DeAndre Ayton, who I've heard a lot of great things about. Yeah, I haven't seen a ton of Marvin Bagley. Was go ahead. Horn. Yeah. I've heard Ayton has been, people are in love with him. Yeah. Um, just from the very little I know, I think Doncic and Aiton probably have the best argument. I, I think Bagley's probably next, and then Michael Porter, unfortunately, with the back is, um, yeah, I, I think he's out of this right question because, like you said, we've already seen so much from guys like Tatum and Mitchell that I just I don't think we were expecting to see. So Doncic is the only one I'd be sure about. Um, at Nike Man fourteen, he spells it N one K E Man one four. 
how does Alec Burke's numbers compare when Rubio is on the floor versus off the floor? Um, oh, I know you got so, these. Yeah. So with Rubio on, he's averaging 16.6 points per 36 with a 50.8 true shooting. And with Rubio off, he's averaging 18.5 points per 36 with a 54.8 true shooting. So it's not like a monumental difference, but he's certainly been better. Um, I don't know if you saw the player impact chart I put out on Rubio a few days ago. I He was actually like the first person I ever did those for, and that was a couple years ago. And everyone's net rating on the Timberwolves went up like substantially when they played with Ricky Rubio. This season, uh, the only player whose net rating does not go down when they play with Rubio is Jonas Drebko. He, he hurts literally everyone else on the Jazz. <laughs> it's just, like we said earlier, it's just the fit is not working. Um, okay, I'm going to give this one to you. At Milltown underscore CP, M-I-L-T-O-W-N underscore CP, where do you rank Giannis right now? That's a good question. I mean, he's top five. I don't know where yeah, you put great. him in the top five. If we're looking at just this season, I'd probably say my top five are LeBron, Harden, Steph, then Giannis, then KD. So I would, fourth. I think I'd probably be about the same. Um, if you're only looking at like this part of this season, I think he has an argument for third just because of how many games Curry's missed. Yep. But if I'm just saying like who are the best players, I think I would have – yeah, or where is he going to end top. up? I think he'll fourth. I mean, he's he's definitely top five. That's that's not even a question. Yeah, I'm there. Um, at K Tremogli, K I E underscore T R E M O G L I E, Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid? Long term, for me, it has to be Simmons. I don't like that he doesn't really have a jump shot, but he's going to one have the ball in his hands more as the basically. I mean, they're playing him at point guard, giving him this additional ability to impact the offense a little bit more. He should have he should eventually be more switchy on defense. We're already kind of seeing what he could do with his long arms, even though he's out of position a lot. His finishing at the rim has been pretty good, and the frequency with which he reaches it, basically on command, even though defenses don't have to respect the jumper. That's incredible. Has a nice polished post game already. Right now it's Embiid, and you can look at the numbers, and just Simmons hasn't really been able to the Sixers don't play well when, when it's just him and not Embiid. You give him Redick or Covington, though, and they can kind of play teams to a stalemate. So, again, over the long haul, I think I would pretty clearly pick Simmons. But right now, uh, Embiid is definitely better. And I say this knowing that Simmons has cooled off offensively over the past couple weeks. I think it's Simmons for me, too. I love elite passers. Um, I, I think Joel Embiid has most, mostly put the health questions to bed, although he's missed a bunch of games with the back, so I think that has to be... Yeah, knock on um, something for least, saying that. We're not even halfway yeah. through yet. <laughs> Got it. Um, it's at least part of the equation, but I, I'm, I agree with everything you said. I think long-term, I'd, I'd probably... I mean, he's a 6'10 point guard. Uh, possibly, like, the 6'10 like an actual point guard, crazy. too. Like, that's yeah, what it's, he's playing. Yeah, it's insane. Um, so, yeah, I'm with you. Embiid right now, Simmons long-term. Have the Wizards played a lineup of Beal, Porter, Oubre, and Mike Scott, which I think we actually asked that question ourselves in the last episode um at matt v5 m-a-t-t v5 and i I looked it up right before the podcast they've played two minutes together that doesn't seem Um, enough yeah on a side note like their starting lineup with mike scott instead of markeith morris has been like way better than than it is with markeith morris mike scott's been good this year 
even though the lineup where you had with Kelly Oubre instead of Markeith Morris, that's been absolute flames compared to what Morris is doing. Yeah. I don't know what's up with him, but something something appears to be off. Miritich, baby. Yeah. Um, at Lan Rover Zero, L-A-N-R-O-V-R Zero. Will the Jazz ever figure things out, or will they maintain their defeatist mentality given the injuries and schedule? Um, wow. After asking <laughs> that question after what they did Shot. over the previous two years is like, that's, that's kind of a, an asshole move. Yeah, I don't know about defeatist <laughs> question. One thing that I've always thought is like a hallmark of the Quinn Snyder era is like regardless of talent, they, they seem to play pretty hard. And they have, they have gotten blown out a lot lately, but um, I think with all the injuries, it's fair. In answer to the question, I, I, I don't think they're going to be – the more I watch them, it's, it's hard to see them making the playoffs, even, even if Gobert's back. I, I just think there's too many issues with the Rubio fit and the guy you rely on more than anything is a rookie. Yeah, it's just it, – and OKC's been better. So um, figure things out. Maybe they'll be better than they are right now, but I, I don't think they're a playoff team anymore. I mean, I'm completely with you right there. They should fire up the Donkage button. Yeah, I don't. I might be too late for them to get into that sweepstakes, but um, I'm with you. At Jason Dardick, J A S O N D A R D I C K, which upcoming free agent do you think the Mavericks should target? You had a good one before the podcast, and I really think it's when you're looking at impactful free agents. It's probably the only one I'd probably I'd put on my list. Yeah, Dallas is. They've done a lot of swinging for the fences um, in free agency, and I actually like that they've kind of they're trying to build a more traditional way for the first time in seems what seems like forever. But if you could end up with like a four or five combo of Harrison Barnes and Demarcus Cousins, that'd be pretty interesting to me. They're in such a they're in I guess they're in an enviable enviable spot because they don't they're not going to have max contract space when they go into the offseason, but they could probably get it pretty easily if they need it, which is a nice, comfortable spot. You could find a taker for Wesley Matthews. Maybe Berea might have played himself into like a trade too, a trade value. So, but if they want, like DeMarcus Cousins is probably the limit because you don't want to invest in anyone too old for this rebuild. Like Mm -hmm. you want to focus on the guys who are going to get, you know, not only be worth their entire four-year contract that you give them, but maybe be good into a next one. As well, DeMarcus Cousins fit that, fits that bill, but a lot of people have like jokingly mentioned DeAndre Jordan, and it's just like you don't want someone who's about to turn Yeah, that, that ship has sailed. Yeah. Um, where does Jordan Clarkson get traded? So this I, is at Mr. Marshall254. I came up with a trade that I was got surprisingly negative reaction, and I was okay with it. Uh, Jordan Clarkson to the Hawks for Marco Bellinelli and Dwayne Dedman, who is injured right now. Which I... You told me that before we started recording. I kind of like that too. Yeah, I mean the Lakers. They they kind of with Brook Lopez injured. They could use like another center. We know they talked about the Randall Noel slop at one point. Deadman, when he's healthy, is a more disciplined defender than Noel. He's showing some three point range. If he opts into the last year of his deal next year, you could kind of work around that six point three million, or you could trade him away really easily. There are teams that would want him at that price point. And Marco Bellinelli just helps the worst three-point shooting team in the league right now. The Lakers want to win games, um, and Jordan Clarkson's an okay shooter this season. He's not great. Uh, Marco Bellinelli's hitting more than 38% of his three-point attempts, and he's expiring. That would be something. And for the Hawks, you know, yes, you're taking on Jordan Clarkson's money. That money doesn't look so bad this season. You can use another playmaker so that your second-best passer isn't Kent Bazemore. You can bring him off the bench behind Schroeder. I don't know if you want to pay the final two years, and I think it's $25.9 million left on his deal. I get it, but he's, he's 25. Like That's not a bad flyer to take when you're the Hawks. 
Yeah, I actually, like I said, I kind of like that deal. Um, I don't, I don't really, I'd have to look deeper. Um, so my apologies to Mr. Marshall. Maybe I'll give you more on Twitter. Ooh, can I ask um, this one? Yeah, go ahead. This one comes from at beef, beef, b-ball at beef. Ooh, b-ball. I don't have this one. Does Evan Turner have any trade value? No. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was, <laughs> I was, I Sorry. almost went to I read it. His last, Evan Turner's last seven games though, in case you're looking for some fun, 59.1% shooting, 66.7% three-point shooting on less than seven attempts. Wow. Uh, three point, uh, three point four rebounds, 2.4 assists, uh, still a negative 6.7 plus minus on average. So no, he does not have hey. any trade value. Um, at Alaric, A-L-A-R-I-C, one, two, two, four. How long before you think the league expands to 32 teams? Um, I, I think there's enough talent now to handle 32 teams. I yep. think aligning divisions would be better with 32. You could have um, eight, four-team divisions like you have in the NFL. I, I think they've kind of uh, rebuffed the expansion questions as they've come up over the last couple of years, but I, I think they could handle it right away. Yeah, I'm I'm totally with you there. It would be I would love to I would love to see basketball back in Seattle and they can put the Seattle definitely needs one. And then I think there's a bunch of options for the thirty second team. Right. Uh I mean and you could even technically just have three expansion teams because a lot of people think that the NBA should move out of Memphis or New Orleans. I love the fans of both New yeah. Orleans or Memphis, but they are not big markets. Oh, I want to ask at, this one because it's directed at Andy from okay. from Jeremiah at basketball season. That's at basketball. S Z N. Do you still practice? <laughs> no, uh, this goes back. <laughs> um, that question when I said I haven't, I, I've basically been on like a non healthy binge for two years. That's, that's part of me not practicing basketball. All right. <laughs> um, at bones McKinney bones underscore M C K I N N E Y. What's your best possible five man team from current players? I'm going Curry, Harden, LeBron, Anadokounmpo, and Jokic. Just imagine Jokic dropping dimes to those guys, like cutting all over the floor. I'm going Curry. Oh, wow. I'm going to go Curry, Durant, LeBron, Kawhi Leonard, and Anthony Davis. Ooh, I kind of maybe overlooked Kawhi because he hasn't played. Yeah, you're a terrible person. I get the the Jokic drop in there, though. But I I just don't think Davis guy. Yanni at my five and – LeBron at the four and Kawhi at the three. That's obviously really good too. I love Giannis. Uh, I just want him to shoot. Yeah. Um, okay, last one. I think this one's directed at me too. At Frankie Smokes eleven. Do you still think Jokic is better than Cousins? And then he's got a crying, laughing emoji, emoji, and then like the hand palm or the face palm emoji. And I'm going to say yes. <laughs> um, Marcus Cousins has insane box. Score numbers, obviously, but uh, I think I think beyond the box score, Nikola Jokic helps you win a little bit more than Cousins does. And maybe it's sounding more and more crazy to say that, but I'm I'm still there no, for now. And you know, Cousins, he was defending really well at the beginning of the year, and it seems like he's checked out there. He Jokic is not as bad as everyone thinks, but Cousins actually seems like he has the potential to be a dominant defender, and is just I don't want to call it just maybe part of it. Defense is hard in the NBA, so maybe he's just not grasping everything, but. Uh, I would still say Jokic too, and he, you know, he's younger. Here's the one thing I'll say about Jokic's defense too: Denver's defense has been better with him on the floor for each of the three seasons he's been on the league, and he has a really good steal rate for a big guy. So yeah, so he's long. He's deceptively long. 
and he's got really quick hands. Um, um, we do have another but, one from Swaggy Porter Jr. at Swaggy Porter. How far is the three-point line? Not really an open-ended question. I, it's like 23. <laughs> we could Google this. It's like 23.75 feet right or now. something. I'm, I'm cheating. Uh, so it's just under 24. 23.75 is my guess. You're right. I win. Um, I think it, it's definitely shorter in the corners, though. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, and I don't know what that is. This, but you were right on the 23.75. Another one just came in. Will there be another blockbuster trade this season? I'm going to say yes against my gut just because it feels like there's been craziness. Yeah, but there's already been so much player movement. It wouldn't surprise me if there wasn't. I think it's 22 in the corners in the NBA, which is that's a pretty significant difference. Two feet. Um, that's why I think that wraps us up. Yeah, we we got some through some stuff. (laughs) Yes, we did. Thank you so much, uh, everybody, for the questions. If you want to uh, interact with us about our answers or anything else, you can find Dan at Dan Favalli, F-A-V-A-L-E. I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. The show's at Hardwood Knox. The sponsor is at NBA underscore math. Like Dan said at the beginning, we obviously really appreciate ratings, uh, reviews, subscriptions, telling your friends about it. Um, If you didn't commandeer people's phones at Christmas, there's still time to do that. Anytime you're with somebody, honestly, is the time to steal their phone and subscribe. (laughs) Subscribe to, to this by. podcast. Um, <laughs> until next time, we leave you with the shout out to Bino Udri and Kyle Anderson. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Moon. Yeah. That's Hugo tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi, oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Napa know-how. Chase Elliott here letting you know that when you spend $25 a Napa this month, you get a free Chase Elliott racing hat. Need a set of brakes? How about a new battery? Both are hat-worthy. Replacing an air filter, then adding on wiper blades and headlamps just to break 25 bucks? That works, too. Go get your free Chase Elliott hat today. Quality parts, helpful people, free hats. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores, while supplies last. Offer ends 331.19. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.